Tonight's episode of Animation Aficionados is a special two-parter. Part one, we are talking about that lovable tech demo, Reboot, with special guest Fezworks of the Webcast Beacon and JT from Saskatoon, where they say about instead of about. And in the second half, we have Hal Hefner talking to us about Heavy Metal versus Heavy Metal 2000, where obviously the classic still wins. But listen in anyways. There is some audio distortion in the second half of the show. We cleaned it up as much as we could. Up first, though, we have a special rant about Burger King that we did for This Week in Geek. It didn't make their show, so we're putting it here. What's up, my friend? Well, Blanchard wanted me to record a two-minute thing. I posted a a little thing on my Facebook today about uh, how Burger King is retiring the mascot. The the king? Yeah, and he said, could you do like a two-minute rant about it? And I'm like... Okay. Okay. Uh, the King is one of the best things that they did. It's uh, Here, here's the thing. Uh, they even made a racing game with the King. It's one of the best ad campaigns they've ever had. It's it's viral, and part of the reason that they're getting rid of it is because they're saying, "Well, it's not selling burgers." In fact, someone on my Facebook actually said that today, and I was already prepared for an answer for that. And that is that uh, have you my my response is have you eaten at Burger King lately? And uh, Part of the reason why I don't go to Burger King is because the food is gross. <laughs> but and, you know about the brand because of the King, though. Yeah, yeah, the King is the, the King is out there. Everyone knows about that King. Uh, I mean, you you go on DeviantArt and you got you got fan art of the King. I mean, come on. And the other response that I have to that is, uh, if Burger King is lagging sales, you can't really just blame it on one thing. You know, it's it's a variety of different things. Like I said, the the food is gross. <laughs> But uh, well, it's sort of like with Domino's. You know, Domino's retired the Noid. Yeah. But, you know, it, Domino's sales weren't lacking because the Noid was creepy. Yeah, which he was. Can. Yeah, but the other thing is that Domino's food tasted gross, and the, you know what really brought Domino's back was the fact that they actually did a campaign saying, "Yeah, we know our food was gross. Now <laughs> we're making it taste good." Yeah, but they're they're shifting a focus now to uh, the healthy choice, and you know. There's a reason that a lot of people uh, go to Subway now, and it's not necessarily the reason everyone assumes it is, which is everyone thinks Subway is like the big healthy alternative, but not really. I mean, people still people go there and they get their they get their uh, their veggie subs, and then they pork out on soda and chips. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I go to Subway is that I can go there and I get I can get a foot long. Uh, meatball sub for five bucks. Yeah, for five bucks, and it's like two meals. You know, I can I can eat one half and put the other half in the fridge. But anyway, that was that was the rant that we were asked to do. Okay. Emerging from the dark humor that was the Beast Unleashed podcast, Steve Megatron, TFG and Mike, Pecan Court Michael, and the Cybertronian correspondent Optimus Solo move on to Transformers Animated with Transformation Animation Podcast. 20 episodes covering all three seasons of the cartoon, the books, and the awesome toy line. We'll also have cast and crew interviews, so get tapped with GCRN's next Transformers franchise podcast. Transformation Animation Podcast, available on iTunes and the web at www.geek.com. GeekCastRadio.com. Get your tap on. Decepticons, transform and rise up. What B-Source is, it's Transformers G1 Gaiden. That's what it is. <laughs> Mainframe. What are they called now? They're called something else. Rainmaker. Well, no, they're not called something else. It's just who owns it now. 
No, but they're no. Yes, they are. They're called something else. They changed the name of the studio. Hang on, let me look this up. Let's fact check. Mainframe Entertainment and Alliance Communications, um, and BLT Productions. Bacon lettuce and tomato. Delicious. Okay, I guess it is Rainmaker now. Yay! Rain, formerly Mainframe Entertainment. Okay. Yay! I win. This. I don't want to. I don't want to flex my Transformers nerddom too much, but the Rainmakers were uh, the three jets that were left behind on Cybertron. <laughs> Made the acid rain in that one episode that the guy in the wheelchair could withstand. God damn it. <laughs> no one's ever really disabled as long as they have courage. So when's this other person getting here? Uh, yeah. It's gonna be a little little while. It's already been a little it's already been yeah. a little while. Well we're still an hour early, damn it, Fez. Well, well he said fifteen minutes, and that was like a half hour ago. Yeah. Uh, let me poke let me poke him again, damn it. Because I got the DVDs sitting right over here. I got three, four pages of notes. Got Wikipedia. Notes? Yep, I took notes from the commentary and the bonus disc. So I can uh, come back at, you know, things that you're going to say, Ben. Uh, mostly Neil. Nope, mostly you. You know what? The one that's been talking smack. Neil's the one, Neil is the one that always calls it the tech demo. <laughs> yeah, it totally isn't. I've seen the tech demos. They're pretty bad. They were from 1990 and 92. Well, it's money for nothing or chicks for free. That was more so a tech demo of anything, but that was also not reboot. That was by the same guys. But yeah, but it's not reboot. It doesn't doesn't make it the had same. The, had the same characters show up on reboot. Yeah, that's called a cameo. That doesn't necessarily make it canon. <laughs> Don't you know anything about cameos and crossovers and the rules that have between them? Yes, I do. Cameos don't necessarily mean that both series are canon within each other. I know that. We talked about this on the Apocrypha. Well, I'm just reminding you. That was a great episode of the Apocrypha. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Let's get this started. So we'll just have J- JT jumping in the middle like we did with yeah. Eric. All right. Uh, hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. I am your host, Ben, joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. You brought him here to kill me. And we have a special guest, Fessworks. Yes. Hello. Tonight we'll be talking about Reboot by Mainframe Entertainment. That is a CG series, one of the first CG series that was a full-running series it on was television. The first, the yeah. first, world's first uh, CGI computer animated series. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Let's get started. It's a series about a, a guardian, which is basically an antivirus named Bob, who hangs out at a diner with a with a with a girl program named Dot and her little brother Enzo, and they play video games. Because if they don't win a video game, sectors of the hard drive get destroyed. I come from the net, through systems, peoples, and cities, to this place, mainframe. My format, guardian. To men and defend. To defend my newfound friends, their hopes and dreams. To defend them from their enemies. Well, the story starts off with uh, basically the, the series opener starts with uh, the intro starts with the, the main character, Bob, uh, talking about uh, <coughs> talking about basically there's the, there's, this, there's the user out there and that he's going to find out what the user is. But of course, uh, and admittedly, they admit this in the uh, in the commentary that yeah, they never got around to that part. 
um, because a better story ensues. They say the user lives outside the net and inputs games for pleasure. No one knows for sure, but I intend to find out. Reboot! But Bob is a guardian, which you can consider as like an antivirus or an anti-agent to uh, bad data. And uh, he's in this uh, system or hard drive, um, this computer that is called Mainframe. And he's from the supercomputer, which is apparently like, well, you know what a su supercomputer is. So he's kind of like sort of like there on loan because he was there by accident, as found out later in the series. I'm totally like fucking up this uh, intro. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> OK, we'll just we'll just the world we'll is, just... world itself is like it's as if what was inside a computer. So you got all like these weird little characters like binomes and sprites that are going around and doing functions that a computer does. And but of course, when you're watching it, you know, a second is like a millisecond in their time. So it's like obviously they're going a lot faster in, in normal time, but it's slowed down so humans can understand what's going on and how these little people in your computer actually carry out these tasks. Um, and and of course, uh, the, the big part of the of the uh, of the series are uh, when games fall down, uh, when the loader, when the user loads games, they take up uh, memory on the hard drive. And if the citizens of mainframe lose the game, that sector of memory is wiped. It's it's essentially destroyed in the game. Um, you know, like taking up uh, data that is not actually being is not saved or being used. So, you know, you can kind of look at it like that. Another aspect are there are viruses, resident viruses in this in this city, um, one of which is uh, hexadecimal and the other one is uh, megabyte. And uh, and of course, uh, megabyte has like an entire sixth of the uh, uh, of the hard drive. And he's, you know, he's viral. He takes over like binomes and converts them and, and takes over sectors and sort of things. So there's like this uh, it's voice by. Ah, uh, hang on, wait. I got that list. No, notes? Where are your notes? Well, I'm looking at the Wikipedia for this. Oh, here we go. Megabyte is by Tony J. Yes. All right. Yes. <coughs> and uh, you know, this was this was what uh, what Neil lovingly and affectionately calls the tech demo. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give reboot a little more credit than I would Beast Wars because. Uh, much like much like Toy Story, uh, they kind of worked with the limitations of the uh, of the CG animation because it doesn't. It's it's it looks like it looks like PlayStation One. Uh, uh, oh, now you're being mean. Uh, no, 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 FMV graphics. But the fact that it takes place in a computer kind of puts it in a context where it's okay that it looks like that. Uh, it's it's still kind of got that early CG thing that I don't like where. Not everything uh, casts a shadow, and some of the uh, things are shiny. Some, yeah, things are shiny, and uh, hair is plastic. Hair, hair, yeah, hair is plastic. Uh, my well, thing with that, early... that is actually what its original pitch was, um, because um, the 1990 and 1992 uh, tech demos that they're are trying to build to 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 sell to a network, yeah. <laughs> they are nothing, nothing like SC Episode One at all. Um, they are wow. They they are definitely uh, they look like a really cheap uh, C, you know three D video game from the nineties. They're they're it, it's I mean it was advanced for its time though. That's the sad part. But it it uh, that was the pitch. They took place in a computer so they can get away with things that looked blocky or not quite right. And ironically, 
because they had to develop all the technology and software themselves in house. Um, by the time it got to episode, you know, making this series, <laughs> it was totally, you know, episode one, which is way better than a PSX graphics. Well, I said, I said the FMV of PF PlayStation graphics. I know PlayStation graphics are way too blocky to compare to this show, but uh, <laughs> I'm talking about like the stuff in Final Fantasy VII, or <clears throat> I, I would even say, well. I would even say better than that. If you really pay attention to like uh, scenes, um, you can see how far back things. You know, there's layers of things happening in yeah. the background. Anyway, all right, and uh, we also have uh, a show that has basically it. It has all the computer metaphors and stuff. But you know, one thing you brought up is if entire if if everything that happened in the game isn't saved, then boy, it must suck for that user because none of his save games are made. <laughs> Well, they do have theories in series about that. God damn it. <laughs> um, see, whenever uh, whenever there's like binomes or sprites within a game that they lose and the sector gets nullified, uh, the sprites and binomes get nullified as well. They turn into things called nulls or like little like worm-like things, which are like decompiled uh, information bits. That, and, you know, they, they run around like little slime snake things. And uh, there's theories that saved games, if a, if, uh, if a, a null were to enter a game, uh, it could recompile them. However, nulls avoid games, so they never really tested that part. But there was some studies going on to it uh, in, I think, the end of season, towards the end of season two or the beginning of season, or the middle of season three, actually. No, it was season two, because Andrea was a girl then. So. What? Andrea is, well, okay. In season As opposed two, to a woman. Yeah. Oh, virtually. okay. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, what I remember is uh, after a while, they stopped doing the games thing. It's like the games thing was like uh, how Beasts War Season 1 was basically, okay, we're going to have all these adventures that have nothing to do with a story. And then and then they're like, okay, we're going to stop doing the games and do, doing these stories about Megabyte and stuff. Well, they were already still doing that. You know how you, that classic TV series usually has two things going on at once. Um, and the game was just like one story while something else was still going on because Megabyte would sometimes be in the games or things would happen um, that, you know, they're ins you know, inside the game versus outside the game. Things are happening and they have to take care of different things. You know, you know, that's how a classic series works. You have two different conflicts going on that you have to try to solve before the end of the episode. Um, um, games became less frequent and a little bit more like plot devices at some point, as well as still being the focus of the game. It, it depends on uh, which episode you're looking at, um, or which one's going to be a little bit more heavily involved or not. Um, but they became did become less of the focus um, and looked more at um, the whole, the more of the struggle between uh, the the viruses versus um, what is called the principal office, um, like the main information corridor central of the hard drive run it's, by an asian stereotype yes very much so um fong yes and uh, what i remember is they did this whole sequence i'm going to skip ahead they did this whole sequence where where enzo becomes the new guardian and uh, he loses a game once gets like half his face scarred and gets sent onto the internet yeah and then okay. he... i can i can repeat that so it sounds better if you really want to, in, in context. All right, what you're talking about is towards the end of season two, um, in which there was a lull between season two and season three. So that's sort of important because they were 
dropped by AB. Well, they they broke ties with ABC, and uh, they just kind of kind of fell out for a while until Cartoon Network picked them back up. So there was a lull, an actual lull between season two and season three. In in the story, what happened is that um, Mega well Megabyte has always been trying to get a portal or basically a network code to go to the supercomputer to you know take over the world, of course. Um, and uh, and uh, he ends up. One of the things that pops up in season two is the is the net, the web of how dangerous it is, especially when you don't have software to properly regulate. Um, and protect yourself from the horrors of the internet because yes, there are. And I'm gonna shut this off because it made a little noise. Oh, that was somebody else, not me. Oh, anyway, fine. so so this is all building up as there were there was a web creature that came in through uh, to mainframe and was infecting actually infecting uh, megabyte and uh, hexadecimal and all this. And, and it ends up being that this thing, creates a tear which is like a fluctuation of energy that you know they sort of just happen and um it uses this energy to create a big portal to the net um and it's this is like you know shit's going down this is sort of like this is like a huge build-up towards the end of the episode and there's this big fight and everything and during this time enzo which is one of the main characters which is always aspiring to bob to he was to... he was a spunky kid he was the spunky kid um, and Bob uh, made him a temper like an honorary guardian or like a first class guardian. Um, he recruited him basically in the field and and that sort of thing because you need you know you need all the help you can get with something like this. This is huge. Um, and uh, after this happens, uh, Megabyte and Hexadecimal and 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 the mainframers were working together to fight back the web. And of course, after that, you know the viruses betray them. Matrix. Uh, I mean, uh, Megabyte uh, basically sends Bob into the web, and they close the portal, so he's lost now. So uh, Enzo becomes like the only guardian. So then there's all this whole like political dichotomy and this other dramatic storyline that's uh, underlined. And and uh, and so basically he has to come of his own and also prove not to himself but also to the people of Mainframe that he can be the guardian because you know now you got. Uh, Megabyte saying like I can protect you sort of thing so he's like doing like the propaganda sort of thing you know the evil dictators like well you can at least survive with me sort of sort of situation and uh, so towards the end he's like he's got his confidence he, he's proven himself and all this sort of thing and then you then you've got a game that he can't win um, it's basically Mortal Kombat <clears throat> basically Mortal Kombat and he doesn't have a good chance to fighting the user because he can select which character he wants to fight and that's that's the problem. He doesn't have control in this situation. Um, <clears throat> but a guy proves just to be the user proves to be just too powerful and ends up basically, you know, almost killing him. Um, and of course, he ends up losing the game. Um, but one thing that they had tried before this, because he time for backstory, if I may, um, there's this character called Andrea, which was basically, well, you could say basically it turned out to be uh, Enzo's girlfriend. Andrea came from a game. Uh, she was a sophisticated, sophisticated AI sprite, and uh, and in the episode that she appears in, uh, she you know kind of likes Enzo and and all that sort of stuff. She downloads a copy of herself to his. Basically, it's his his ID, and, and all the characters have IDs. It, it, it's their icon. It's her icon, yeah. Um, and so she she exists 
in mainframe as as a copy of the original, but still as a sprite. And 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 then of course they they uh, go on with her as an additional character, having adventures and whatnot. One thing they 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 learn to do is to use her icon, which is a game sprite icon, um, versus like a mainframe icon, and uh, they somehow get her to transform into like change the icon into like a mainframer icon so she's, she's like a registered sprite of that system so that when she can she can go into games and come back out versus leaving with the games because the game would recognize the game icon you stay with the game sort of thing it went both ways enzo and in this game also andrea was there and um, they changed their icons to game sprite mode. So instead of being nullified, they left with the game. But of course, everyone thinks that they're dead. Um, and it's really fucking dramatic because this is the end of season two. Um, and when he comes back in season three, remember there's a lull here. You know, a lot of the fans are like, all oh, right, 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 season three, season three. Um, he comes back with, with Andrea and and they're basically like adults. Um, and there is a reason for this. There's a couple of reasons for it. Behind the scenes, the reason is, is that they are no longer, they were no longer bound by ABC and U United States of America's BSMP rules, um, which was a major hindrance because the Canadian uh, ratings board was a lot more lenient and uh, allowing of more experimental stuff and things like that. So you can blame America for seasons one and two for some of the very stupid things that happened. In fact, they um, did that in the show a lot. <coughs> well, yeah, they would poke fun of them as well. But season three was 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 aim, was was purposely aimed at a at a at an older audience. It, 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 the storylines became darker. Um, the female characters actually got breasts um, because that was a BSMP thing. That nope, you female characters can't have breasts, let alone cleavage. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so. <laughs> So they actually had separate boobs versus just kind of like a, a, a bumped out chest a little bit. Um, and uh, so that's, that's you know, season three and, and season four um, were obviously the more darker, more heavily, because it was aimed at, a, at an older audience, um, purposely. I, I forget what we're talking about. I just wanted to put some more little emphasis on what you're just so easily dismissing there. <laughs> Okay, so he turns out he turns back up and he calls himself just Matrix when he comes back. Yep, he's hardened. And he has a he has stubble and everything and a scarred eye that's blind. And he basically looks like a bad uh, road warrior ripoff. <laughs> he's a good road warrior ripoff. He's uh voiced by Paul Dobson. And he's what Anakin should have been. You brought me to kill me. But uh yeah, and then you have Bob show up again, and he merges with his uh, tool glitch to become Glitch Bob. Yep. It's key tool. Yep. And then you have, and then you have them do a musical number to explain what what happened in that season. You're just like it's most terrible at explaining things. It's like nobody. It's a musical <laughs> number, damn it! It's Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, the, the, yeah. At the end of season three, there was like this little musical thing because it was like, all right, we don't have enough to, we we don't ha we, we're not going to be able to get. Uh, you know, they, they weren't thinking that they would come back again, which they almost didn't. So they they closed off things, even though there were plot holes open uh, to come back to, which they kind of did. Um, and the uh, musical thing was, you know, fuck it. Let's just have some goddamn fun. And that's what they did. And it was a really funny episode. Uh, it was fun to sing along. And I learned those lyrics for a while, actually. Okay, let's hear it. I'm going to go over my notes here. 
Let's uh, hear it. I'm going to go over my notes here. Let, let's hear the song. No, I don't remember it now. I mean, I could sing along if it, if it was playing. Um, or maybe if I had the lyrics in front of me, I could sing. But maybe later. Um, I'm going to go over some of the notes I was taking so we can kind of start from the beginning. Because you're kind of jumping into places that other people listening to this may not know about. Um, so the notes that I took were from the final. They finally had a DVD release. Uh, Shout Factory uh, did the DVD set for it. And um, awesome. and uh, let's see here. I was listening to the commentary, and there's also a couple of bonus features on a bonus disc that I took notes from. Um, Reboot was the first uh, computer animated series in the world. Um, it's set inside of the computer to make up for its deficiencies, however, because they had to basically they had to invent all the all the technology for it. Um, it got a lot better uh, when season one uh, first started. Uh, story. Uh, always came first. They started with the story because the other part took so long to render, of course. Um, Mainframe, the company, um, was actually first in three adjoining hotel rooms, which they were decked out with a ton of computers. That That is how badass this company was. They're, they're living out of hotels, working on this, this, this show, and they're constantly trying to, to beg the company uh, for some money. Uh, okay, uh, let's pause for a second because we have a new challenger. Good day, boys. Hello. Hello, JT from Saskatoon. Yes. Saskatoon. <clears throat> I was uh, basically going over some a lot of the uh, the commentary notes and things from the bonus discs off the DVDs to, to create a little bit of a standing here so that uh, Ben and Neil can't just throw out things. Well, especially Ben, just picking things out of out of random in the middle of. They something. had a Mulder and Scully uh, cameo. Yeah, they did, and it was great. You know, and it's, voiced it's, by uh, Scully herself. Yeah, she's a, it, she was, it, a it, fan it was her. It was her. Yeah, that's that, that shocked me that she did yeah. that. Gillian Anderson did that. Yeah, fax modem and Nully. <laughs> no, uh, that that was good. I mean, considering that they were shooting X Files in Vancouver at the time, which is where ma- mainframes located, so. Well, they're always shooting X-Files in Canada. So what was the episode that had the uh, Money for Nothing guys show up? That was Enzo's birthday. But chicks but weren't free. The damn well should have, though. <laughs> um, okay, so if I may continue with these notes. Yes, and... you may continue. Okay. Um, as I said, Mainframe, the company, was first started in three hotel rooms. Um, let's see, the head, and pra- head of standards and practices basically had an issue with breasts until one of them showed up with a Barbie and explained, this is what kids play with. They know these things are there. Um, <laughs> so they compromised and had a mono breast, which is basically a kind of a, sh- you know, a shelf, a shelf, basically, or with a really tight shirt that's suspended amongst amongst the uh, between the middle. If you really want to look at it like that, um, they originally didn't want Enzo or Frisket, um, but they were basically told to. But uh, didn't they like the TV guy, Mike the TV? I don't remember how Mike... I think Mike the TV only had like a limited role, and but became a little bit more of a role as... Uh, I, they really liked the, the, the voice actor. Uh, so he uh, so Mike the TV came in a little bit more. Um, the first show uh, sold to the U.S. Network... For, it's the first... It's, it's actually also as, as well as being the first CGI series. It's also the first show sold to U.S. from Canada. Um, YTV allowed much more, but USA standards and practices preventing aspects and hindered them, actually. So blame America for that. Um, in the beginning, it was basically a 24-7 production. Since they were in hotel rooms, they would work, sleep, work, sleep. That was pretty much it. Um, 
and uh, and interestingly enough, uh, ABC's poor lineup reboot actually got them back onto the ratings board. Um, the show had been ten years in the making before uh, the first episode had been released. Uh, some of the early tech demos, like they had one on the DVD from 1990, which is wow, it's wow bad um, compared to the first episode. You'd be like, holy shit, this isn't the same thing. Um, facial re- the facial software they, that was custom made. They they custom made that. They made a lot of their own software and, and developed their own hardware. Um, yeah, they started. And with now the- they're using Maya. I don't know about that. Maybe in season three. Um, they start with the script. They voice recorded. Uh, did uh, Worked on, on stills and then the rough uh, rendering. Music composition and then sound effect timing and then the final rendering. Um, they had a lot more creative freedom and input um, than other companies had a lot of them because you know, this is basically their own company with their own story here. Um and there were apologies mentioned for never following up on Bob's original quote-unquote goal to find out what the user is, um, and because a lot more interesting stories had pursued. Um, and in I think in season three, um, or at least in season four, or both of them, they they did change the opening mantra, if you will. Um, yeah, it's uh, at least Bob doesn't fight for the user. Doesn't fight for the user. <laughs> <laughs> against the user I, I, I was making a joke well it didn't work because it was totally not correct I said at least he wasn't fighting for the user at least he it's... wasn't fighting for yeah um, haven't you ever seen Tron goddammit well, okay um, yeah the premise of the show came from the medium because of how blocky things were limited by the technology at the time and of course ironically they could do a lot more after they developed it um, episode 2 took nine months because they had to build everything. And actually, episode two, which was the aired episode, episode two, was actually the first episode they made. And that's where they had to make everything. And later, um, the the shows averaged uh, eight weeks of, of production time. Um, of course, because once you make the assets, you save the assets and just reuse them. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the strengths of uh, CG animation. But, you know... At the same time, it, at this early in the game, it really wasn't a replacement for traditional. Well, no. It, it was... I think what worked is still its setting for why they why it worked so well. Um, Part of the reason why I, I kind of coined the term tech demo show is because I don't really think that CG had a place on TV until at least, like, Jimmy Neutron. It, there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole range of shows that I kind of look at now, and I, I don't see what the appeal is. But like once once the early two thousands hit, I really think that CG took off. Yeah, it's, it was no longer Spider Man swinging yeah. through CG City. Yeah, yeah. If you think you think I insult reboot, which he here's some of the things I say about Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think original... everyone agrees that that show was direct. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, the original uh, airings uh, for season one and two. Went from 94 to 96. Um, Cartoon Network picked it up in 99 with uh, season 3. And uh, later uh, season 4, which actually was originally supposed to be three TV movies. But um, Cartoon Network broke it up. broke up. There was only two movies made. And Cartoon Network broke it up into uh, four episodes each. Um, so the third, the third was never made. And uh, we'll come back to that later. Um, there was a video game in 1998, which I own, and in 2008, there was a webcomic made. 
And uh, sponsored webcomic or just a fan webcomic? Well, here, well, here it is. Um, Zeros to Heroes and uh, an unofficial reboot fan site, which eventually turned into the official reboot fan site, um, was doing something to try to get more uh, people behind uh, the whole, you know, like dry, stir up more activity again. And uh, they had a fan uh, fan fiction contest or. Or they had a contest uh, with art and everything, and uh, people got to vote on what would end up being uh, a story. And and uh, I I didn't read too much on this, and, and I, I I apologize for not being able to do this. Let's see here. Um, there's a webcomic. There's first new material that was part of the relaunch. Spanned over 20 weeks, Rainmaker released fresh installments of a new story in the set in the reboot universe. It takes place after what would be the third uh, movie that was never done yet. Um, so we still don't know what happened in between uh, the end of season four and the beginning of this uh, webcomic. Um, and it is an official webcomic. And it, I, I suppose it still kind of can leave some stuff up, but I guess... It's it also closes things enough that it's not like a cliffhanger like the end of season four was because they just didn't have the money to continue. Possibly not the ratings either, since it's kind of like a, uh, and you know it's it's not as widespread as they would like it to be as far as like fandom, but you still it's still got a good fandom, um, the dedicated fandom, and which is still really good to have. Um, but there is a sanctioned webcomic on the web. You can find it at reboot.com, and. Uh, let's see here oh that's all i had for notes basically um now if then you want to keep continuing to try to pull things out of context without any backstory or leading up to <laughs> i'm just let having fun with the spitballs fly i wasn't really bringing it out of context as much as i was trying to repaint it humorously so with the another episode i remember is the one where they were doing a role-playing game and bob was the thief and he had an, a butter knife. Yep. And yes. and, uh, and Mike the and uh, Mike the TV was the barbarian. <coughs> yep, Mike so, did that one up. I remember uh, that one. I remember the one with the exploding mask that got stuck on Bob's car in the yep, racing that was, game. That was episode two. Ooh, hey, as long as we're talking about uh, viruses and vehicles, there is an episode of which uh, Megabyte is a truck. Oh and, yeah, the, oh, the megabyte truck. That's there's from, a story uh, behind that. Um, one of the one of the artists on staff was to ask for sketches for a particular script, and within one of the sketches, he just drew megabyte as a truck. And they're like, "What's this? I don't know. It's cool though, right?" And then they're like, "We got to make an episode for this." Um, and that's what came the basically the Road Warrior episode. Um, megabyte was trying to steal the principal office uh, core, the energy. Uh, siphoning it and whatever. Um, and the game uh, comes and gets all screwed up because they're fucking with the system's energy. Um, and it uh, the game lands on them, and he's like in the core. He's in, he fell into the energy, and, and then the game lands on him, and he transforms into this uh, mega truck, and he's carrying like all the energy. So it's not just they're trying to defeat the user. They also have to get the energy back to the principal office before the game ends so that this system doesn't blow up. Um, but that, that was actually a direct reference to uh, Maximum Overdrive that had the, uh, <coughs> the, the Green Goblin truck. Oh, God. There's that, yeah. too. Uh, the whole the game. Hey, honey, this ATM called me an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest Stephen King cameo ever. 
and a soundtrack by ACDC. <laughs> but I also remember the episode, which is obviously them playing Wing Commander. Oh, yeah, that was the whole point. A lot of the, the points for the games were to basically make references. There's there's another one where it's basically uh, Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. That was oh, in but... Season 3 with... Um, years before an Evil Dead game was made. Well, my, favorite, were... my favorite joke from that episode is, uh, uh, I think Dot Matrix says, like, who, what kind of sicko would play a game like this? And then they just scowl at the screen. <laughs> yeah, well, dressed up as Elvira. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No. And Enzo was... Uh, Michael Jackson from Thriller. Yeah. yeah oh, what what I love was uh, after the season where where uh, Enzo became Matrix and and then they rebooted the system. It turns out because he didn't have his icon on. Yep, it was still in light mode. They brought back regular Enzo, so as a little kid, and he wants to be like the sidekick of Matrix. Mm-hmm. And then they became uh, Doctor Evil Mini Me in a game. Yeah, that was great. Um. I love the games because of the parody possibilities that that presents them. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like I said, I saw that one with the, with the space fighters. And I knew it's Wing Commander. I knew that because this is something that doesn't come up often on the show. But I'm a big Wing Commander fanboy, so I can recognize Wing Commander when I see it. <laughs> Except for the shitty uh, Freddie Prince Jr. movie, which should burn in hell. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Ben. Yeah, that doesn't exist, Ben. Um, yeah, don't mix stuff up like that, Ben. It's bad form. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's a. Uh, I wish the Hulk ate Freddy Prince It Jr. never happened. What, the Hulk didn't eat Freddy Prince Jr.? I have no idea what you're talking about. From the Ultimates in, comic book. But in season bad. three, uh, they also used uh, being able to be in different uh, other other hard drives, other computers, as a setting for parody as well. Because um, a lot of uh, the beginning of season three has Andrea and Matrix basically travel, using the games as travel between systems to try to find their home, obviously. Um, and uh, sleep might be the leap home. Uh, I, was, I was reaching for a quantum leap reference. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here's here's the question for you: Did they ever go on a Mac and find out it was copy, populated by sprites that were nothing but like uh, turtleneck wearing elitist uh, <laughs> assholes? A whole lot of Steve Jobs. <laughs> no, no, because you know <laughs> then Mac didn't have any games. So well, they had they had Marathon. They. Which sucks. They didn't have any games. That's they had Marathon. No, you can't connect a PC and a Mac back then. Especially no, a Mac had... Mac. Between systems, you couldn't connect them between games. They were incompatible. So okay, no, Steam they did not exist yet, you're right. They didn't go on to a Mac at all. I, I was making a joke. I wish they almost went to a Mac just to see what happens, and then to go onto the Linux system and find out it's, it's full of all these nerds that do nothing but try to figure out how to mod things, do things that nobody ever needs. Oh, they did have an episode of which it was kind of like Star Trek, the original series, and that was a different system. Because um, there were like these these energy, oh my gosh, there were like these like energy beings um, in the episode, and there were also sprites. And uh, there was the energy beings, and they glowed when they spoke, and they had that deep voice, um, kind of like the brains in that one episode of Star Trek, um, where they're like the different color brains wagering the uh, the fights and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was really funny. Um, so one of my favorite episodes was uh, Nullzilla, where they have to basically they rip off Power Rangers and Voltron in the same episode. Well, there where you go, John. You got your you got your Sentai uh, fix. Yes. Well, no, it's just fun because I mean, yeah, I like the show, whatever. But <laughs> it's just that that whole episode, how you know, an aisle form the head was it Bob or Mike got like the lady or no Mike. The TV got like the ladybug robot that fo- 
that formed the head. Nope, 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 nope. Mike got the slightly annoying, high-pitched, buzzing uh, gnat force. Um, and he was, a, he was a gnat. Um, the ladybug was Dot. Um, grasshopper, uh, uh, Enzo had grasshopper. Uh, I think uh, Bob had a pincer beetle. Fong had something, didn't he? No, he wasn't anything. Andrea, I don't That's know it. what was. Um, maybe she was a butterfly or... So, or... so this is more Beetleborgs than uh, Power Rangers. Uh, uh, so... Oh, yeah, there's... <laughs> you have to bring uh, Beetleborgs into it. Oh, God. That didn't favorite... happen either. What <laughs> oh, God, it's Steve Jay Leno as a ghost. <laughs> Three typical average kids. Um... Oh, God. <laughs> that one's going to be stuck uh, in your head. We yes, have... it is. The episode, uh, the episode was basically... Um, this is when one of the... As I mentioned earlier, there's this web creature that's in mainframe and it attacked Hexadecimal. And uh, it kind of transformed her. And, it uh, sounds like the user of that system was browsing some porn there unprotected. No, there's, there's, it was, it was sent there um, to, to, to. Well, that's what everyone says when they get infected. But what really happened <laughs> is they were trying to download something else. It's anyway, <laughs> anyway, the uh, the nulls, which usually hex, they're like hexadecimal pets, or she can usually control the nulls. Um, they basically, as soon as this happened. All the gnolls in the city converged on her to basically because gnolls sap energy from if you if you touch them they'll they'll sap your energy from like your hand or whatever um, you know they they absorb energy so they're trying to protect mainframe by surrounding uh, hexadecimal and trying to drain her energy um, because but of course she's fighting at the same time so it turns it turns into like a giant uh, monster that's rampaging the city made out of gnolls. And one of my favorite lines in the episode is like, um, Fong says, ah, I have prepared something for just an occasion. And Bob says, you're prepared for a giant monster made, of a, made out of gnolls rampaging the city? How do you plan for that? Ah, uh, lucky guess? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was good. God damn it. <laughs> who, who didn't like Fong? Well, he was, an, he was an Asian stereotype, and I take offense to that. The voice... The of, character, not oh, because he was an Asian stereotype, Ben. The voice of Fong was Michael Donovan, who was also Mike the TV! And yeah. Cecil, and uh, another character called AI, which I don't know who that was. <laughs> but no, just like, going back to the, the, the Mad Max episode, it's just, I love to see where like, Bob gets into the truck, and he's, he's, I forget what he says to like uh, Megabyte's uh, mad scientist sidekick, and he's like, "What figures?" And he just wiggles his figures, and they're all like so badly mangled, they're bandaged. My digits, exactly. My digits. I'm like looking evil at that. It's like uh, the evil German just... World War Two type doctor or whatever. Yeah, the, like the mad scientist cliche. And I'm like looking. It's like, dude, that's not right. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> And then you also have the season of My Two Bobs. Well, that well, that wasn't the season. That was uh, one of the movies. Yeah, Split up as four episodes for a season. Yep. Um, yeah, I ended up hating not because it was bad, just the fact that they left us on that frigging cliffhanger. Well, they, like I said, there was planned a third movie that just oh. never got made. Um, it was intent. You know, um, there were three movies. Uh, Damon Rising was the first one, which was episode 41, yeah. 43. My Two Bobs was just episode 44 through 47. And only in the U.S. it was broken up into episodes. And there was supposed to be a third movie that just never happened. So it was intended. Either the money and or the ratings just weren't there for the funding to happen. 
Um, and the webcomic that's online, I don't remember if um, the other guy was here when I talk, when we talked about that. That takes place after what the third movie would be. Ah. So. Okay. Um, really, to me, what I know, I know it was a technical advancement for the time, but you know, it's just so jarring watching now because CG has gotten a whole lot better in the last ten years. That you know, you watch it and there's like there's no shadows on the ground. Actually, I'll add to this once you're done. And uh, you know, you know, the hair is plastic and all that. It, I'm not. I know it sounds like an unfair criticism. All I'm saying now is because of the rate CG improves, it ages older CG series incredibly fast while traditional animation doesn't have the same age curve at all oh yeah 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 but well like what i was saying it, it kind of took the route the toy story did where they were like okay the technology isn't quite where it needs to be to do like regular show so let's just go with it it looks they look like cg characters so let's make them cg characters in a cg world and make it about a computer world and I think that's where the brilliance of uh, of reboot is, and uh, like I said, the shows that came after it for at least eight years, I didn't really care for it. Uh, yeah. But reboot reboot is a shining example, I think. Yeah, it's a, and uh, one thing we had to do is also give props to Pixar when we're talking about CG, and you know, Pixar pushed the boundary each time because at first they're like, we can only make skin that looks plastic, so they're all toys, yeah. and then you know they pushed it even further because there was one block on CG that was that seemed like like the uh, the holy grail to accomplish. You know, hair and water are the hardest things to do in CG. And what do we get in Incredibles? Wet hair. <laughs> That's what Monsters, Inc. and uh, Finding Nemo gave us. They just combined the two and said, okay, let's put hair in water now. Yeah, like, they're, they're, like, they're like, we scoff at we scoff at the holy grail. We're just going to do it, damn it. Really? <laughs> You know we're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> but yeah, it's honestly I find reboot really hard to watch again because it's like because like like I said, the age curve for CG is so fast. And I'll give it this. It looks better than Transformers uh Energon. Well everything looks better than Transformers. <laughs> Transformers Energon almost looks like it came before reboot. It's so bad. <laughs> Oh god! I can't, I can't begrudge uh, reboot fans the way I can begrudge Spider-Man fans. <laughs> it's a completely different beast. It's like, like you said, I can't really sit down and watch it. Well, maybe, maybe if, if like a little more time went by, I can sit down and digest it again. But no, it's that level of CG yeah. that that see, it's it's almost like some studios reach a level of CG that Beast Wars and and reboot had, and it was like, okay, this is what CG is, and stop. And it took Pixar pushing that envelope to make other ones wake up again and go, okay, we need to try a little bit harder. Because it's like uh, another example, something Neil and I actually watched last night was uh, G.I. Joe Spy Troops is like almost a little bit, just like a hair better than Reboot. See, the problem is that they actually have to do, spend a lot of money to develop the yeah. hardware and software to do that, which is why it stayed stagnant for so long. Because it was expensive. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying that you know, you, you have, yeah. if you ever seen GI Joe's spy troops, it's terrible, terrible, except for one <laughs> part. The crackers. It, it's just, it's almost like Flint Dilly walked in the room and wrote this one part of the script and then walked out again. Yeah, like yeah. Hey, Buzz Dixon and Doug Booth all walked into the room and said, "Hey, we got an idea." Basically, they're looking for someone to infiltrate the Cobra base, 
and they decide that Shipperk is going to do it impersonating Cobra Commander because he does a great Cobra Commander impersonation on Talent Night. Oh God! <laughs> no, I I've seen that and I had it locked away and I wasn't really consciously acknowledging it. It's so stupid but brilliant at the same time. Yes. And then they followed it up with the Valor versus Venom. And the return of Serpentor. Don't That's you mean like Venomous Maximus? Wasn't he Serpentor? No, it's in Valor versus Venom, they... It looked like Serpentor. Maybe they lost the trademark, like they did on My Little Pony. But yeah, no, I just... Out of the CGI G.I. Joe, the Valor versus Venom, you know, because... I grew up in the 80s. I love G.I. Joe unequivocally. And yes, I've watched every series. Thank God for Resolute. Including G.I. Joe Extreme? The only good thing that came out of G.I. Joe Extreme was the code names of the characters and the idea of a small unit, a, a smaller cast, not this army unto itself that the original series grew into. <laughs> that is the only good thing that came out of Extreme. The ensemble cast. That and Gary Chalk, I liked his, you know, I like Gary Chalk as a voice actor. What about, uh, <laughs> you're forgetting another G.I. Joe series, it's uh, Sigma Six or the weeabusation of an American hero. I'm sorry, Ben, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you can't keep doing that. Yes, I can. It happened. No, it didn't. Holocaust cost denier. Yes. Yes, but, uh, back to. I choose not to talk about it because I hate that show. But back to uh, Reboot, you know, I really don't have much to say about Reboot because I actually did watch through the whole series, but other than a couple of those memories about some of those silly games, I don't really have much to say about it, It's uh, in, except for the fact that the way that CG advances in the last two decades, it aged, you know, the visuals aged pretty badly. It, if the story still does it for you, then it still does it for you, and I don't begrudge you on that, but that's how I feel. Well, I hang on. I, I actually think season three aged very well. Um, Did they have water? Did they have hair? Did they have wet hair? I think they actively avoided that. The visuals are still really good. Yeah. Do they have shadows? Yeah, there's tons of fucking shadows. I'm, I'm, I, I just put it, in uh, end program right now. Yeah, it season three was was a step above, so can't really say anything bad about it. Okay. In fact, I'm looking at this lightning intro and dark areas and everything. I'm, look, I'm watching the last episode of season uh, three right now. Okay, but uh, there's ooh lighting. No, I, I think you're being too hard on it. Uh, but then again, I've also been. I also had rewatched all this, <laughs> all of the episodes uh, fairly recently and uh, listened to the commentary in the bonus disc and all that, read the webcomic. Well, you know, it sounds like they did a good job with the DVDs that they actually put commentaries on there because that's something that a lot of series from the 90s are missing. There's a few commentaries. There's, there's not as much as I would like. There are... Well, a few are better than, a few are better than none because uh, something I pointed out is uh, none of Marvel anima- Marvel's animation has commentary tracks. None. Mm. Well, look who they're owned by now, Disney. Disney is notorious for the bare minimum DVD release. Yeah, goddammit. But yeah, it's a... Uh, no, it's, I, I love any sort of commentary track, any sort of behind the scenes. It doesn't have to be like full featured. It doesn't have to be like a whole extra disc. Just some is better than none. And yeah. it sounds like they did a good job. 
And the series is also, by the way, available on Netflix if you have uh, streaming, which I do. Which series? Reboot. Is it? Yeah. Cool. Well, I have the DVDs available from Shout Factory. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the last episode of season three has uh, the whole system getting basically shut down because the after the whole fight with Megabyte and the web, the system is so corrupted and and dying. It basically. Um, they lose a game on purpose, putting their faith into the user to reboot and restore the entire system. Well, that's why it's always important to, to have a system restore points when you do a new installation of Windows. It's it's one of the new features you have to. It's one of the new. Uh, it's one of the things that you always have to do. It's. Uh, I'm looking for reboot on Netflix right now. Reboot. Well, I'm watching it right now, and I remember when I see. I'm a, okay. Little background about me. I'm a person that has a very low threshold. Or getting into anything, um, you know, the suspension of suspension of disbelief or suspension of belief, whatever it is, um, I can get into things a lot better than most people because I can shut out the outside world and just engage and be there. Um, so a lot of reboot, especially the storylines, especially at the end of season two and all of season three, um, you got emotionally invested in it, or at least I did. And so it's like, you're really into this. At least I am. And, and it's one of the things that you, you got. I'm, I'm a big fan of character-driven work. And this uh, reboot is a huge example of that. As well as, um, well, because without being into the characters, you can't really get into the storyline so much um, without knowing a lot of the background. So it can take a little bit of getting into. You can probably skip some of season one um, if you really want to. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the, let's see here. Uh... Let's see here. Uh, the Quick and the Fed, uh, the Tiff. A lot of the early ones were basically uh, the Belly of the Beast. Uh, they did the one with uh, they did the one with uh, with Dot needed slow food. That one wasn't very good either. Uh, well, it was it was a good development episode. You got to learn a little bit more about uh, the characters, how they work, how things work, different areas of mainframe. Um, the that's, that's when Frisket eats. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Dot was uh, got hit by a magnet, and basically uh, her energy pattern was so erratic. She needed slow food to slow her down, to slow the scrambling and reset herself. Um, the same thing kind of happened with Frisket. No, that was with an old delete file uh, command. Um, but uh, so, yeah. so what's your take on what's your take on who the what's your take on who the use who the user is of the system? If you had to guess, was the user like a uh, a teen, a teenager, eighteen? Um, the idea in the web comic was that games haven't been played for so long um, that uh, the user was occupied with other things. Um, I forgot what they they said, but basically the user had been uh, I guess missing because. Uh, Things weren't really happening, and who knows what happens with you know with how slow things happen. You know, for you know you know seconds for in mainframe is like weeks. Maybe he finally got a girlfriend. Maybe, um, but I know that the source code shows up in the webcomic, so that's a little bit of interest. Hey, I'm watching this episode right now. It's a season one episode, and the uh, the purple chick has two big breasts. I thought you said they couldn't get. They only had like shelves in season one. Is what you said? Oh, no, you said shelves. Um, they probably got away with it for like a, a character that's not all the time. Uh, also, hexadecimal. I guess a little bit of an exception as well. She, she didn't show up too much, and she was also evil. Um, Breast e- equals evil. I guess. 
uh, to ABC anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I just see the season here, and it's getting down towards the end where everybody's all happy and being rebooted, and uh, basically old archive sprites and restore points. You know, characters are coming back to have been killed off, which is why little Enzo is there because Matrix was in game sprite mode, and the system didn't recognize that Enzo was there. Made another one. I remember when Dot became uh, Commander, she was called Dot Com. Ah. Uh... Yes, I know. It hurts, doesn't it? Uh-huh. A little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, I fucking love reboot. Um, I I ran home from school in high school just because it came on like right when the bus came, and it's like I run my ass up to the door. Throw. I still have VHS tapes of me trying to record all of the episodes. You know, where you pause it while it's recording to cut out the uh, the commercials and everything. Um, and I have most of season one, two, and I think three on VHS somewhere, unless I threw them out, because I have the DVDs, which is awesome. So, no, it, it, it has to be one of my favorite uh, series of the team. Um, it's the only one thing that really stands out as, oh, I have to buy that. I don't care how expensive it is. How expensive was it? Well, considering that it was a limited release, well, it might be limited, but it was from Shout Factory. I think it was like a $60 thing. And it also came with like uh, some art cards and some other little things in there too. Um, and, and of course, you could wait till it went to Amazon.com and everything like that, but I needed it right away. You need your fix? I needed it. it I had been waiting a long, long time for this. It's, it's, you know, me and my brother used to watch it all the time. So, so there's that too. You know, just one of those things that we had. Okay. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this show up. Uh, then Neil, yeah, recommend or not recommend? Um, I'll give it a recommend. Just be nice. JT from Saskatoon. If you don't like this show, you have no soul. Yes, I recommend this show. Fess. Fuck yeah, I recommend this. It is. Um, I mean, when you start with season one, you, you get you get a nice look into like the the nineties. And computer-generated stuff like that. But uh, if you are a fan of character-driven work, uh, I totally recommend. It. I recommend that you at least attempt to watch it. If if you back out, I understand. In fact, if there's any people that know me that are near me, um, listening to this, I I will play the DVDs for you, and I will make pizza. Um, <laughs> He'll make you a pizza roll. Yeah, um, that, that is how much I love. It. I could watch this all the time. You just don't go in his basement. I live in the basement. I was, I was making a, a tied up. I know, but uh, I, you have to go into the basement because I'm renting out the basement of uh, of, 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 a, of a fellow web uh, cartoonist. Okay, um, uh, but uh, that's our reboot show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this is Ben and TV's Mr. Neil and JT from Saskatoon. Fez. Oh, yes, and, and Fess from the Webcast Beacon Network of Podcasts. All right, and good night. Bye. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the Telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on geekcastradio.com.
Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. I am your host, Ben, and we're joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neo. To the council chambers! <laughs> and with us is Hal Hefner. Death! Death to those who afford us! Okay, and today we are talking about Heavy Metal, side by side. The original classic animated uh, movie and the uh, 2000 piece of shit. <laughs> Gilded Winds, show over. Exactly. Or we could say this. Back to... No! Back you! <laughs> yeah, I have a funny story about that fucking back sword. Back. But why even attach that to it? I mean, come on. Well, it, the, the thing is this. I, when, around 2000, I was working in a cutlery store that sold knives and swords and stuff. And uh, they had uh, they had the fax sword, which cost five hundred bucks. What? Five hundred bucks for something that was stamped out machine that was just regular old stainless steel. And only one person ever bought one. <laughs> Who was it? Kevin Easton? No, but he bought it, and you know what he bought with it? What? He bought something that was actually quite beautiful. It was an eight hundred dollar uh, Paul Chen uh, Blue Orchid uh, katana, fully functional. Uh, Katana. It was. It, it. It made me cry because it was actually a real, actual, functional sword. Wow! Great. It, it was sold to be a part of the centerpiece of this piece of shit fact. Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, not a very good movie. I actually, you know, being that I have heavy metals first online comic gates. I mean, I the, the original heavy metal movie, though it had many flaws, uh, was a was a big inspiration to me. And, not flaws. Uh, charm exactly <laughs> it did exactly exactly but like i you know being a giant fan of that i remember like just being so excited about the new heavy metal movie and couldn't wait till it came out on dvd and you know it was like immediately bought it as soon as uh you know best buy opened up i went in there and grabbed it and i brought it home i watched it once i packaged it up and sold it on ebay a week later did it you know what? Not even the Ironside could save that movie. No, 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 I know. And he's awesome. All in all his awesomeness, and even Billy Idol couldn't save it. And well, they check uh, in, but they don't check out. Yeah, it it just you know. It was oh, just, that's Eric Idol. That's pardon. Eric Idol. God damn it. <laughs> pardon me. <laughs> but but it was just it was terrible, man. It was it was terrible in every way. And you know the worst character was that Germain character. I hated him with his little goatee and everything. He was terrible. I like hate, they, you know what? I, I have to actually say I hate the woman because it's like you can tell that someone actually designed a very sexy woman, and then they had these shit animators doing the animation. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was, it was Simon, Simon, uh, Simon Beisley, or I never know how to say his name right because I hear people say Beasley, Beisley. It looks like Beisley to me. Uh, you Beasley know, I, sounds more correct. Yeah, but it spelled Beisley, like Beisley, and I used to have a first grade teacher named Mrs. Beisley, so I, I always kind of resort to that. But uh, but anyway, uh, his designs are actually pretty cool, you know, the, of of Julie Strain, and so they look cool. But it just yeah, it just didn't translate well. It didn't kind of pull together. I think that what really helped the original heavy metal movie was it was not really a continuous story from getting the end. It was more of an anthology of stories that were loosely connected by a single plot device. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it, was, it was an experiment for like several different animation directors. Yeah. Every segment was animated by a different guy. Yeah. And that was the charm of it, and it was it gave you the feel like the heavy metal magazine because you know that's kind of how it was back in the you know the 70s 
uh, you know, it had that European charm to it. It had, you know, you, when one set in one part you've got Mobius, the next part you've got Richard Corbin, the next part you've got some, you know, crazy experimental weird psychedelic stuff that you probably will never see again. You know, so it was like, and that was cool, and you you loved that, and so, and they, you know, and they did that, and for the most for the most part, I think they successfully pulled it off. You know, you could you can nitpick the animation, you know, like, uh, you, you know, in several areas and the writing and stuff, but all in all, it had charm and it flowed together well. You know, it was a much better uh, presentation of what heavy metal stood for than this newer version that we saw in 2000. Plus, you don't have the charm of hearing John Kenton talk about his uh, dingling hanging out. Wow. I still have my fork hanging out. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean... Actually, it, yeah, I love a lot of the original, a lot of the cast in the original. You, you, you got the Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, John Candy. Eugene Levy. Gene Levy. Uh, who else is in there? Well, you have uh, Marilyn Lightstone. You have uh, Jackie Burroughs. Yeah, who's, do you have the, the principal for, or the, the dean from uh, uh, Animal House? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot his name. You uh, have awesome, awesome rock music. Yeah, man, you do, you know. It, it, minus Sammy Hagar. I'm not a Hagar fan. <laughs> yeah. Can't help it. I'm a Diamond, Diamond Dave guy all the way, you know. When it comes to Van Hagar, I can't deal. Damn right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, and it was cool because it was eclectic. You know, you had, like, in, you know, one segment you've got Devo. The next one you've got, you know, Stevie Nicks. Uh, I love know. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, man, Blue Blue Lamp, that's a great song. There was no message to be found anywhere inside, inside or out. I had looked everywhere, but the only lamp. The soundtrack rocked, and then Ronnie James Dio leading Black Sabbath. Hell yeah. like you know that man that you know Dio was from you know kind of like the same area I was from in New York so when I was wallowing in uh, you know this hillbilly shithole where I grew up thinking I gotta get out of here I gotta get out of here Dio was my main influence was like hey man if that funny looking little midget Italian guy can get up and wail heavy metal music and so you know I can get the hell out of here and do something too so yep, that's Ernie too yeah, man, and that's why that's why I dedicated you know our soundtrack that just came out uh, to his cancer fund. So um, yeah, if you purchase our the soundtrack on iTunes or uh, our Amazon MP3, all the proceeds go to the Ronnie James Dio Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund, and it all roots right back to the 1981 heavy metal movie where he was there with the Mob Rules, which is oh. the, you know, one of the great I think scenes in the movie when uh, you know at, at the end the. Uh, the evil overlord that just gets, you know, absorbed by the orb and uh, turns into the, you know, the green, the green warriors, the evil warriors, and they just start ransacking the city and killing everyone in sight. It's awesome. That's one of the best parts. Uh, so uh, I, so I'm reading here that there's going to be a new heavy metal movie uh, that the Eastman is actually working on. With well, it's been in the works for quite some time, and it started off with. You know, David Fincher had joined joined uh, the ranks. James Cameron, Zack Snyder, and so then the um, 
the option with Fincher ran out, and Fincher has now moved on to other things. And then just at uh, Comic Con, they recently just announced that Robert Rodriguez has picked up the option, and they're trying they're going to do it with his studio. Okay, well, it's uh, as long as Del Toro, because he likes to put th- eyes on things where eyes don't belong. Uh-huh. It, no, really, hit Del Toro freaks the fuck out of me. Yeah. Well, something that's got me kind of excited now is that we were talking about uh, uh, the Thundercats before the show started, and uh, Thund- Thundercats has gotten has achieved a level of animation that is finally getting me excited about animation again, whereas I think animation kind of stagnated for a while. And if they can get that kind of animation into like a new heavy metal film and not what they did in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, that's, that was an embarrassment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just, I don't, you know, it, it's tough to say. I mean, I don't really know what they're planning on doing with, uh, you know, with the new heavy metal movie. I'm kind of in the dark uh, about a lot of that stuff. I mean, you know, really all I am is just the lowly, you know, online guy that kind of runs their own, you know, their online division. And that's pretty much it. So I, I don't really, I'm not in the loop on a lot of this stuff and it's all very new. So I'm not, I wish I had more to tell you, but I know that, uh, I had talked to Kevin about some of the other, uh, you know, some of the ideas that he had when it was with Zack Snyder. And I know there was some really cool, I saw a little bit of the artwork and it looked pretty wild. Like from what I saw, it lo- looked like it could be pretty good. So let's hope that that's still the, you know, the, the case here. Okay, just just promise me that if you have any way to input anything, please tell them not to pick a shitty studio to do the. <laughs> well, I think it was going to be Blur uh, here really? in uh, yeah here in in uh, Venice. Uh, that that was the that was the studio that was uh, originally tabbed to do it. I don't know if that's still the case. I have no idea because I know I know that Robert Rodriguez has his own little studio. I think near you in Texas, right? Doesn't he have something going on there? Uh, yeah, he should, because, uh, he does a lot of stuff in Texas. Yeah, so I think, I, and I'm not sure if he's building his own animation. No, it was actually really weird watching Planet Terror and be like, I know where that place is. Oh, I know where that place is. I know where that place is. It's like, (laughs) you know, we'll see. I I have hope for it. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, you know, either way I'll be going to see it and supporting it. So, so yeah, but it's, but you know, obviously the, the second one, you know, Heavy Metal 2000, the second movie, it, it, you know, it, it's almost again like comparing Beast Wars to uh, G1 Transformers. Very, you know, very similar. <laughs> dealing with, you're almost dealing with two two separate iterations of, of a franchise. So, yeah, it's, and, and it's yeah. It, the thing is, 2000 tried to be too clever for its own good. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the original knew. Okay, we're going to do an anthology based on these stories that we did in the magazine before. We'll just do an anthology of that and have just this this uh, magic rock be the only tie, and it's going to be a loose tie at that. Let's go, and then there, and then you have these awesome stories, like you have the one about the the cab driver. You have the one about Canyon, yep. The, then you have the one with Den with John Candy worrying about his dongle hanging out. You have a. You have uh, the beat. You have the bomber story, which is one of my favorites. Me too, man. That's actually one of my favorite animated clips of segments of all time. It's awesome. Like that is pure. Like you can feel the Bernie Wrightson coming from it. It's just. It's really. It's like such an awesome story and such an awesome. Uh, you know the, the way that it's drawn is very much. You know it reminded me of the the eerie comics and like you know the DC Swamp thing that Bernie Wrightson used to do. It really, it was such an awesome, awesome. Uh, you know, rotoscope, very cool feel. I loved it. That's, but that I think is my, you know, 
my one of my favorite uh, segments in heavy metal, if not my favorite. Yeah, well, like we're saying is, you know, people do homages to the original heavy metal. I don't think anyone's going to do any homages to 2000. I think that that in itself talks about the difference. And uh, for instance, uh, South Park did a loving major uh, boobage. Yeah, it was. They actually animated traditionally for a change, and that and it it looked fantastic. It looked, they captured the original heavy metal animation look near perfect. Oh yeah, and and by the way, guys, I have a very good friend who is uh, one of the main animators for South Park. So if you want me to hook something up, just let me know. We want you to hook something up. <laughs> All right, done. Yeah, I've been in the studios. There, it's literally, you know, probably a half a mile away from me where they do all the animation and, and their studios. It's really cool. It's what, what I love about South Park, just as an aside, is they're using the same programs that DreamWorks and Pixar are using, but they're using it just to do this really flat, the uh, cardboard cutout stuff, and they can pump out a whole twenty-two minute episode in five to six days. And that's, that's how they do it, too. I, I just love that. I love how in the commentaries, if you ever listen to the commentaries on South Park, they say, it's like it's like using a bulldozer to make a sandbox. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You guys, I'm going home. I love Cartman. One of the best ever. Best characters ever. Yeah, and- I love I love their spoof of My Little Pony with, uh, with, <laughs> with Cthulhu. Yeah, that was a great one, man. Great one. <laughs> so, so deal. Apparently, My Little Pony is so big now that South Park had to mock it. Wow. Yeah. But I... the thing is, the thing is, the two guys that do South Park—they're thirty-year-old men. So, are they really fans? Could they be? I don't know. They have a prerequisite. They're thirty-year-old men. Yes, they could be. And there are some some questions about uh, Trey Parker's sexuality as well. So we shall see. <laughs> No, no, the thing is, uh, with My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, the big fan base is 30-year-old men. Yeah, funny, right? Frightening. I was watching an episode, and I had to have Neil help me pull away. It was frightening. The funny thing about that is Lauren Faust. Am I saying her name right? Faust, Faust? I think. Yeah, Faust. Okay, Lauren Faust, she, she made that show to be more catered toward women because she thought that the original... She felt that the original show was not so much because it was written by a bunch of, you know, smelly old men who... Right, right. Yeah. But what's funny is that I think it appeals more to guys now. <laughs> it does! <laughs> funny. I don't... It's just weird. Well, she's not going to complain about success. It's a success. It's yeah, just... success is success, you know? It's like, yep. okay, I got guys as my audience. I don't care. <laughs> One of my friends used to, um, used to uh, draw for ElfQuest and... Uh, and so that very similar uh, demographic, you know, it's like they, it, a lot of women were the fans and stuff like that. But then you've got this whole weird men in their 30s, men in their 40s that are like obsessed with it and stuff. It's pretty funny to see. So now back, who, to, back to heavy metal and women like that, too. Women and men. I can't even tell you guys how many uh, women uh, are fans of it and love it and, and have like gravitated towards my comic because of their love of the 1981 movie. So. Very, very interesting. I'd love to do a little research on the demographic of, uh, you know, who likes the heavy metal movie. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd find it probably fairly close to 50-50 men and women. Yeah. So let's see here. Neil's favorite story is uh, Tarna, right? Well, I think that's like the default favorite to all men. I, it's, it's, it's not the story so much. I think it's the character design, obvious, yeah. obviously. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I like her. I like her gray bush. That's the funniest part. 
<laughs> like, oh, she's great. she's great on there too. All right, cool. The carpet smash. The yeah, the you got it. You got it. But no, it, that is a good, a good one. You know, it's uh, everything about it is is pretty cool. The, I love I love the rotoscoping scenes where the you know she's flying on the bird to the city and the bones and you know all that stuff. It's it's, it's well done. You know. And yeah, it's the one thing that that really helped heavy metal is the poster. Yeah, the poster. And then you know that was based on the Mobius, uh, you know, Mobius uh, story too. So you know, it had Mobius has a huge following across the world. I think they picked a good one to um, you know to, to utilize. And uh, you know, just I think they they really you could obviously tell that that was their their love. That was the the one that they put the most time, effort, and money into for sure. And it was the longest. Uh, story in, in the anthology as well. Yeah. And really, you know, the whole thing is, it really doesn't, you know, it's really a movie to be enjoyed versus a movie to be dissected. I mean, you can dis- dissect Heavy Metal, but, you know, you sure. start the movie out and you have you have a 1960 Corvette re-entering yep. the atmosphere. You know that, you know, okay, this is just going to be fun. Yeah, yeah it's just exactly. like, welcome to the 1980s. Exactly, exactly. And then you get into Harry Canyon. Stupid asshole. <laughs> and it's just like, all right, like here's what we got, you know. Got, we keep letting in illegal aliens, you know, and it's some alien going into New York City. It's, it's funny. It sets it up with, like, this kind of, like, you know, smarmy New York cabbie Italian asshole who's, you know, just sick of life but just kind of rides through it and gets lucky here and there, you know. So it's a, it was, that was a, I think that was one of the most brilliant, uh, brilliant ways to lead it off because you know they could have really screwed it up if they let it off with a you know a different story i think the harry canyon introduction is really sets up everything you know because it, it's got a little bit of humor it's got a little bit of seriousness it's got you know interesting animation i think they made the right choice by leading off of that for sure yeah and uh another one neil's favorites is uh is captain stern right yeah oh yeah hanging stupid <laughs> 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 that one, uh, that one has one of the best songs in the whole movie too. They have that uh, cheap trick song. They also have one of the best named characters, Hanover Fist. Yeah, Hanover. Fist, yes. Hanover? <laughs> hey, boss. His voice is awesome. I love, I love his like nerdy voice. <laughs> Then then Stern's voice is great too. It's kind of like somewhere in between, like um, it's Eugene Levy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know the the way that he does it is, is like, hey Hanover. You know, it's like some kind of porn star meets Superman meets uh, kind of Lionel from the original Thundercat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. Stern's a good one. It's, it's a very good one. And how about? But I love I love Den, and the reason that I love it is the gay emperor. He is awesome. Yes. It's so great. It's mine. Stupid bitch, get away from me. That part is... <laughs> me and my friend and I used to just re- replay that part over and over again and like, our pants laugh. It's mine. The Loch Ness mine. Stupid bitch, get away from me. <laughs> yeah, the honey badger don't give a shit. No. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're praising, they're praising the original so much. We have to eventually have someone draw the lot and say what the 2000s about and try to put context to what the story is. All right. All right, I'm going to flip a coin. Call it. 
Tails. Head. It's heads. Okay, Hell. You're the uh, man. All right. So, Heavy Metal 2000. The whole basis of it is you've got that the miner, Tyler, and his band of, uh, I don't know, rogue miners. And he, you know, discovers the shard of the Lochnar, which is, you know, the main evil green orb from the original film. So, so then, you know, obviously it corrupts them. He then wipes out. Uh, Julie Strain's people kidnap her sister, and then Julie Strain flies down to East L.A. and picks up her friend, who then becomes the sidekick Jermaine through the movie, uh, also probably related to Cheech Marin. Um, and so, so then it's basically just Julie Strain kicking ass through the whole movie with that little rock creature who's her friend, who becomes evil at the end, right? Doesn't he? Isn't he revealed as evil? Uh, I don't think the rock creature ends up being evil. I think it was like the hooded, the the, the Billy oh, the, Idol character. Idol. Idol. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. So, yeah. and then you know it's a big showdown with the. It's basically like he's taking steroids, and the uh, the the Lochnar allows him to uh, basically. Man, I haven't seen this in like ten years. So correct me if I'm wrong, guys. So like the the, the Lochnar allows him to create some kind of like steroid-like thing that allows him to be um, uh, immortal or something. Basically, yeah, yeah. basically, he needs to inject himself every time he's mortally wounded with these yeah, vials. Yeah, and so and so then you know Julie Strain fights him and kills him at the end. And, and all well, this... there was first a scene where she's almost fucking him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, and then she goes and fights him and then almost kills him, but then he shoots himself up with the juice. And then, you know, it's just, and then, and then they go to that, like, crazy, uh, uh, that, uh, like, Moss Eisley-like place, you know, it's, ah, Jesus. <laughs> and then it's just, it's just, and it's just her fighting creatures and, you know, villains the whole time, and then she just kills him at the end, and it's over. So it's yeah. really, right? Yeah, and the, yeah. the sad thing is, is I'm reading that this is actually based off of The Melting Pot by Eastman, Beisley, and Talbot. Okay. One of the men who gave us the Ninja Turtles, Kevin Eastman. East of Eastman, my boy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's you know, and and. I imagine the original story, The Melting Pot, was better than this. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, you know, and, and I, 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 you know, from from talking to Kevin and knowing Kevin very well, I know that he's. Uh, you know, it, it's not that he's ashamed of this movie or anything like that, but I know he's. He definitely sees flaws in it and, vow, and vows to kind of correct those flaws and, and do some different things in, in the next one. You know, he's a prideful guy. He's, uh, you know, created some good franchises. So I think he's, you know, he's, he's really determined. He really wants to make this new movie with Robert Rodriguez. I know he's really, he's really focused on it, really stoked about it, uh, you know. And so you much- know what? Robert Rodriguez, Heavy Metal, it just works. It does work because it's it's like it, you know like there's a campiness of heavy metal that needs to be to be there and I think Rodriguez you know let's face it he's a campy guy he you, likes, you could tweak Planet Terror just a little bit and be a heavy metal story absolutely absolutely you know so so I think it, it's a good fit so we'll we'll see what happens you know the problem with um that you know the the whole thing with animated films these days trying to get them to the to the movie theater is distribution because. Let's face it, you know, animated films don't necessarily do that great in the movie theaters, especially like, um, uh, you know, I mean, name the last time there was a, you know, big blockbuster, awesome animated film, you know, and it's like, I think Titan AE's failure really 
uh, make the studios afraid to do anything animated. It's it's a it's a stigma because any animated film that's not Disney or not Akira doesn't perform well, and people yeah. think, oh, that doesn't that means we can't do it. It's a Don Bluth proved this because when he was doing screen tests for his Thumbelina, he right. had two different cuts. He showed it to two different audiences. One that says Don Bluth presents, the other says Walt Disney presents, and the one that says Walt Disney presents got a much higher rating, even though it was the same goddamn film. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, it's and it's it's kind of messed up, and so and and you know this kind of goes right back to the suits and the studios shouldn't be making the calls on things. They don't understand what they're doing because heavy metal, a new heavy metal movie that kicked ass would would definitely sell in the in the theaters, you know, especially if it was anthology based and you know was was also could reel in the kind of like young gamer kids and all these newer kids that are you know that are that have. Um, you know, come along recently, and also if it could tap into my audience or, you know, my Gates comic, because I've approached mine in a very different way. Mine is very much like, uh, you know, my, mine's a, a one continuous story, but you could pick a part from it and use it in the animated, uh, you know, the new animated movie for sure. But like, uh, you know, shameless plug, but, um, but you know, they, I think, I think one of the big problems is, you know, these studios just, they don't get it. They never will. They just, all they want are tentpole blockbusters. And, and, you know, that's great and all, but like there's a whole line of distribution online that needs to be taken advantage of. The first person that releases a movie at the same time online and at the theaters is going to rake in the cash, you know, and I, I just can't believe no one's done it yet. So, uh, you know, and I've been kind of tooting that home for a long time, you know, it's like, Dude, take advantage. Allow your home entertainment and your theatrical entertainment uh, launch to be at the same time, and you will reap big, 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 big rewards. So, yeah, those are the issues with the new, you know, with the new movie. Uh, you know, finding a studio to distribute it because they're kind of going at it about it the, you know, the the old school way. So we'll see what happens. You know, wish we just wish them the best, and hopefully, uh, you know, it looks a lot more like the 1981 heavy metal film than the uh, you know heavy metal 2000. One thing I can guarantee though is no matter what it makes in the theaters, if it's good, it will make that up and then some in exactly. DVDs. Yeah. Exactly. Guaranteed. I agree, man. I, I guarantee you as well. You know, it, it's the truth. You know, guaranteed. I, yeah, no doubt, man. No Tell, doubt. Take that to Eastman and let him know. Guaranteed. He knows, man. He knows. He knows. And you know, like let's. You know, if you want to dissect it a little bit further, you look at where heavy metal was in, you know, the late 90s and stuff like that. It was a it was a different time. You know, Eastman bought heavy metal and he took it and, uh, you know, things started to change. I mean, he did did some cool stuff with it. But, you know, then the Julie Strain factor came in and dominated a lot of the 90s, uh, you know, in, in heavy metal. Um, and so it was, you know, and it was a taste that some dug and some didn't. You know, personally, for me. Uh, I wasn't necessarily a fan of, of that that kind of time. I, I like, you know, I did tap into some of it, but, you know, it was, to me, it was like, okay, let's move on to something else. You know, I, I was always kind of feeling that. So for a while, I kind of checked out on heavy metal. I, I wasn't kind of, you know, following it as much as I would have liked to. Um, and so, you know, and I think that's where the influence kind of comes into the heavy metal 2000 movie. It's like, you know, Julie Strain was a big influence on heavy metal in that time and Eastman himself. So, and, and, you know, but all in all, was, was her character and, and, and she the real major problem with the heavy metal movie? Not necessarily. No. You know, it, it was, I mean, it, it, you know, it went well beyond that. I think, you know, basically what they did is they, they number one, they should have made it anthology-based. 
Yeah, uh, because because what Heavy Metal magazine was was several different stories in one big magazine. Yeah. And uh, it's not just one continuous story. It's like, you know, Heavy Metal magazine is known for so many different stories. Yeah. And so many different stories that people love. I mean, that's uh, and and then you have it this and then you have it distilled to okay, we're going to do a 2000 update. It's going to be just this one story. And it, and the problem with picking just one story is you're gonna, you you will pick a, one story that not everyone will love. Or in this case, is adapted really badly. Yeah, and I and I think you know I think it it could have been successful, but I think you they they should have spun it a different way. Like they should have just what they should have done is launched a ser- I think a series of animated films that were like heavy metal presents blank, and so it's not like people are going in and expecting it to be the 1981 heavy metal movie with the anthology. Because I think if you then say no, we're going to do a series of movies. That, you know, if you then had a marathon at your house where you, you know, put them back to back, each hour to 45 minute film is like, the anthology. Like Grindhouse. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you know, seriously. So it's like, so I think that's kind of, you know, where, where they, you know, where they faltered. They should have had it to be some kind of uh, anthology based uh, thing from the get go, not just a, a full on story. And I think, you know, it, you've got to really... Uh, the audience is fickle, man. Especially the comic book audience. They're very fickle. They're very. They like what they like. They're very, very. Um, you know, they, they they rip apart shit very easily. And, and so, you know, it's like you, you you've got a very thin line between success and failure. And if you don't necessarily kind of adhere to you know the things that that have made something successful in the past, and you try to do something too drastically different, the backlash can be big. You know, so. So I, so, and I think that's what you're seeing with, with Heavy Metal 2000, you know, it was just people were expecting something and they got something else entirely and it didn't necessarily flow with what they wanted it to. And in the quality, in, it's in some aspects wasn't there. And so, you know, you, you, you lost something and the backlash, uh, was pretty big. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, so back to the good one, uh, Neil, <laughs> Neil, what's, uh, what's another one? What's another things that you can say about it you loved? Well, there was the there was the alien one, which was uh, where it starts out at the at the Pentagon, and then the yeah, uh, yeah. take the secretary away, and there's the whole thing between the robot and the secretary, and yeah, and then then the, plutonium Nyborg. Good Nyborg. Yeah. Hey man, I like driving when I'm high. You know your perspective's fucked up. You just let it drive for you, and it just crashes into the space station. It's awesome. So good, man. Oh. Yeah. What, did we hit every everyone? Oh, what about in the special edition? You remember that one? Oh, the one that didn't make the movie. Yes, 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 yes. I don't remember too much about that. I, Neither do I. I just remember that uh, it starts with Hanover Fisk's hand, uh, like plummeting to this planet, and then it goes into like wacky land. Yeah, it was. It, it was drawn in a very, very bizarre kind of. Uh, I, I almost went to like the 1800s. Uh, you know, that old style of, uh, you know, of, of art, uh, comic art, you know, like early, early sci-fi comic art. And it, it just, and it, it just keeps like one frame evolves into another and it's about the orb being on the planet Earth and then just influencing the evolution of, uh, of the planet itself from the dinosaurs right on into, you know, like rape in the 1800s and stuff, the, you know, the evil of mankind. It was very, very, uh, different intellectually than the rest of it and I think that might be one of the main reasons why it was included because it was just 
it was deep, you know, went deep and went went hard into looking at the uh, the uh, the evils and intricacies of mankind. So it was, an, it was a, I thought it was really good, and I I would love to have somebody splice it back in there, or at least have some finished version of it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was. I think it was called like Neverland or Neverwhere Land. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, overall, overall, I think heavy metal is. Heavy metal is one of those things I'm glad existed because uh, in the early 90s, uh, you know, with animated movies and Blockbuster, you know, we had the Golden Blockbuster 4, mm-hmm. which were the four most overrated anime movies ever that every kid saw because it's an anime movie. You can watch it. And you have uh, the, the four Ghost in the Shell, Akira, uh, uh, Vampire Hunter D and Ninja Scroll, and all four of them are actually mediocre to okay, a little bit good, but they're so overrated. Those were the only four anime movies you were guaranteed in a blockbuster video in America you could rent in the nineties, in the early nineties. Those four were always there. And then you have on all the way on another section you have heavy metal. And that's like you know that that was basically the American the American answer. You know, just here, this is uh, this is American. You know, yeah, and it you know it's see Corvette, goddammit. Exactly, and and you know, and it it it's funny because heavy metal, you know the the you know the animated film from eighty one. Really, it, it's funny because it really kind of sums up the American cheese ball, right? All in one, you know, in in one big laugh. It's like you know, that's what we're all about in America: flashy cars. Uh, you know, hot chicks with big boobs and, you know, as, as little depth as possible and, and, so, and drugs, you know, so it's like it, it kind of wrapped it all into one. And it was pretty, you know, it's pretty funny, pretty telling, you know, whereas you know, in America, we, we didn't really the, 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 you know, the animation technique, you know, really didn't get to see nudity until the, the you know, the, that film. And, and like, you know, you look back and, and in the, you know, obviously anime had it, you know, had, had nudity all throughout. And then you look back at, you know, 1973, Fantastic Planet, uh, which was French, uh, you know, and that had nudity too and was very, you know, a very serious film. And then, you know, you get into the 80s, early 80s, and finally nudity in America in animation hits the big screen and bam, you know, you've got big boobs flying everywhere. And it, it was fun. You know, it was really fun. It was like, you know, excess, excess, excess. It, it really summed up the kind of, you know, well, what started with Jimmy Carter and ended with Ronald Reagan and, and continues on to this day of excess, buy, spend, you know, spend your money, buy more, consume, consume. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's hilarious. And, and heavy metal, you know, we got to give them, give it credit, man. It, it really splashed onto the scene with a big bang. Yeah, like I said, it just, it, to me, it, it made me glad because... Because, like I said, you have the Golden Blockbuster Four, and then you have America's Answer. You have you have yep. heavy metal. That's that's American animation. That's adult. That's mature. That 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 would that's basically saying no. Japan didn't invent didn't invent uh, blood, gore, and sex and animation. We did. God damn it. Yeah, and, and and also what it did is it came. It showed up. It was raw. It was, you know, it was unfiltered. It was, and it wasn't afraid to be naked, and it wasn't afraid to to mock itself and 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 laugh at itself. And that's what it did. It had this self mocking uh, of America type of feel, where it really, you know, like you look at the Harry Canyon, uh, you know, segment. It's all about, you know, it it really touches on a lot of the social 
uh, you know, bullshit that, you know, we were facing in America at the time, you know, everybody and still to this day are so concerned with like illegal immigrants and blah, blah, blah. And they're making fun of it on a whole other level with that Harry Canyon story. So it's really, you know, if you really look at heavy metal, it was a very, very intelligently done social commentary on, you know, the, the, the place where America was at the time. And, you know, in, in many aspects still is today, if not worse. So you got to give it, it credit, man. It, it was it was definitely a groundbreaking film. It certainly was. And yeah. uh, let's see here, uh, Neil. Any final thoughts? Well, I just want to bring up the one thing about Heavy Metal 2000 that disappointed me the most, and that's when uh, the Billy Idol character in the second movie uh-huh. takes off his robe, and he is the worst CGI character of all time. <laughs> no, he's like he's like. Sub Beast Wars, he's so bad. He's just so it's like watching the money, for, money for nothing thing. Pretty much. And I, I don't, rem- I don't even remember it. That's how bad it was. I remember. Oh, I'm putting it in the show notes. <laughs> nice, nice. I, I actually like. I don't even the he- the. I was so disappointed in the heavy metal movie. Like I said, I watched it once. I pa- I I packed it up right back in the DVD case and just put it in an envelope and was like, I gotta sell this on eBay right now. And, and, I, and I literally, I, I think I bought it on, I bought it on a Tuesday, watched it that Tuesday night when I got home from my uh, wonderful day job and was just like, man, I was bummed. And I think I listed it that Saturday on eBay. It's one of those movies that you're told it's bad and you, you really don't grasp how bad it's, how bad it can be until you actually see it. Yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, and like, you know, it bothered me, dude, that it was, that it was as bad as it was. Like I was really distraught. You know, I watched it on Netflix streaming, so I didn't really have to pay for it. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I bought it brand new, all excited. You know, I it was, I was like I said, very. I was like, you've got to be kidding me! You've got to be kidding me! You know, this can't be it. Can't be it. No. And yeah, but it was... you have you have Heavy Metal 2000 has a terrible CG character at the end. What's at the end of the original movie? A dollhouse explodes. Now, yeah. which, I ask you, is the superior product? <laughs> I think it answers itself. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's obvious. Uh, original Heavy Metal is a recommend for any animation lover and aficionado out there. Yeah, and just anybody in general. Like you, you just you've got to see Heavy Metal just for for the hell of it, man. It's it's a it's a fun film that really doesn't take itself seriously, and you shouldn't take it seriously either. Two thumbs up all the way. It's, uh, you know, I wouldn't be here today sitting there talking to you guys if, if heavy metal didn't come out. It's, it's really been a major influence on me in a number of ways. And, uh, man, I love that film. It's, uh, sits right here in my heart, man. Neil? Two thumbs up and another thing up for all the naked chicks in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said before, I think it's the job of anyone who wants to be into animation. You have to watch heavy metal. Yeah, oh, yeah, and you also have to burn all copies of 2000. Yeah. With enough time and a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is your host, Ben. And TV's Mr. Neil. And the hat. All right, and we will join you next time. Good night. Good night, everybody. Adios. I am TFG1 Mike, and you should be listening to my very first podcast, the TFG1 Podcast. 24 episodes covering the entire U.S. run of the 1984 Transformers cartoon. 
I also have a few supplemental episodes and an interview with Stan Bush. I bring in guest hosts who will be full-time co-hosts in Steve Megatron and fan of the show now co-host Pecan Court Michael. So check out the TFG1 podcast. You can find it on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Transform and roll out. So you're going to actually sing it? <laughs> I don't know if I should. Because I might... Just... We'll give you a cookie. <coughs> Ooh, a cookie. A cookie. Oh, wait. I got to pause it. Oh, he's going to sing it. Everybody quiet now. Sing it, Bez. Who have invaded mainframe frightened virus fight it side by side threatened to reclaim the city separate serves the open wide who bite and betray Bob Danny threw him deep inside the pit pit was closed and Bob was hosed and all that he could say was no we thought we had no barrier from here you would infect us sex up Enzo which was scarier he said he shivered terrified from fear of the infector's touch I guess your fear was verified I wasn't a protector much I can't sing the repeating parts, it's so embarrassing. You're already not embarrassed? It was the first that first he only was a little sprite. At first he was the worst, but then he turned to learn to do it right. Just as he was getting skilled, the game came down, he couldn't win. I so fear for sure his both been killed, they found him then, so not again. Ah, so fast, they can hardly sing it! I went from game to game, I fought to groom and lost my innocence. I soon became enraged at each and every bad experience. The threat you knew was gone, I had become a grim aggressor man. I knew that point on that I was truly Bob's successor man. I went into with the web writers and took the form of interface. I dreamed and begun in pirate swords and then the seas of cyberspace. When at last the pair of us were finally reunited, guys. The we really were delighted, guys. We soon made tracks to main friends so our friends could reunite with us. When Megabyte had made the badge was ready, I went face to face to face to face with hexadecimal. Yes, you can. His chances for survival, survival shrink from small to infinitesimal. His chances for survival shrink from small to infinitesimal. His chances for survival shrink from small to infinitesimal. His chances for survival shrink from small to infinitesimal. Bob helped to defragment my head and tell this was with Megabyte. I thought he wound up dead, but Matrix put up a horrific fight. Think this is the only night of doing in that virus trash was just as I had won the fight. He engineered a system crash. What Megabyte had hoped to do was cause his death to crack us up. The gamble on the user to reboot and thereby back us up. It worked for all reborn anew and rid of things barbaric. And now we're back together, everything's alphanumeric. Yay! 
All right, so there you go. You got the embarrassing part of the show for me. <laughs> In me. Man, but, too fast. If I had the lyrics pop up a little bit sooner, I could have done it. 